My name's Sarah Frick, and you're listening to Are You For Real? A podcast all about being real. Like, really real, not just cute Instagram real. Like, real. You guys, welcome back to Are You For Real? with Sarah Frick. Today, we are interviewing one of my absolute fave people. And I, and I, I say that and I mean that because like, I don't even, Ryan and I have only physically like had a few interactions together. He lives in Tulum. I live in Charleston. He is one of the trainers at Amanasala where we go run our retreats. And, um, he is a fitness guru for sure. But what he does with his fitness is he makes it a a mental, physical, spiritual experience. And he also has a story that um, his story definitely changed my life. It's a really beautiful testament of vulnerability um, and of being real. And so I'm, I'm so happy for you guys to listen to this and to experience this person because I think... The, the older I get to and the more I get to travel and the more I get to experience people, the more I realize that that is, that's, that's part of the learning. Like how cool that I get to go and, and have this amazing experience with all these people in Charleston. And what do you know, this random Canadian man like shows up and he is able to not only physically move us, but to spiritually and emotionally move us as well. So get ready for this. It's a beautiful story. We have some laughs, we have some cries, and I'm just really stoked for you guys to listen. So we're going to pause on Ryan just for a second because we're talking about fitness. um, And I want to tell you guys, my favorite place to get clothes that not every single person in the room will have is Fit Atelier. We carried a lot of their stuff for a while. And now they have their flagship store in Charlotte, North Carolina. You can also buy everything online at fitatelier.com. And I have a discount code for you. This is usually just for instructors, but you use Sarah with an H15 and you get a 15% discount on the clothes. You guys, that's pretty magical because we know we sweat through this stuff quickly. You've got to re-up. Fitatelier.com. Go now. You're welcome. All right, you guys, we are here with Ryan. We got Ryan on the line from Mexico. He is in Tulum and I met Ryan... Almost a year ago, it was like last February, and he was a trainer at Amanasala where we do our retreats. And we met and we started talking and just had, he shared his story and it was a really lovely story. And we went back last, this October actually, and we got to reconnect again and got to co-teach together and just had a really great connection. And I just wanted to bring him and his story to you guys. So I'm going to um, let Ryan tell a little bit about what he does in Mexico. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so I've been living in uh, Tulum for about five years. I come in and out a lot, but I primarily base myself out of here. And I work here as a trainer. So primarily in the arena of like physical fitness, so personal training and group training. I um, kind of co-host a recurring retreat that we have at Amansala called Bikini Bootcamp. We have a new retreat every week and I participate in that. And then I also have a lot of clients here that I work with individually. And I take more of a uh, like total wellness approach to fitness. So much like you do, Sarah, mm-hmm. about not only being physically fit, but also being mentally fit and spiritually fit as well. And I try to stress the relationship between those things and how to find a balance and how to 
devote at least a small amount of your energy every day to one of those things um, and all of them so that none of them get neglected. And a lot of the training that I do will sort of incorporate all three in one shot. So if you do a training session with me, it's not just physical fitness, but I'll probably include like a short meditation and some mental exercises kind of snuck in there as well so that you're able to really garner the the feeling of having that, that kind of total wellness element to it. Yes. And when we were there, Ryan's worked out both of my groups that we took to Tulum and it is a killer workout and it's like so much fun. And I, and I totally, I love that you're able to incorporate all of those three things in fitness, because I think that, you know, I always say like fitness, you can get fitness on every corner in every major city you're in, but if you can connect people to their heart and to their brain and to their breath and to their spirit, you're going to create a sustainable experience that they're going to want to keep coming back to for themselves. And that's, it's a really, it's a special thing to do because in that space of creating that you as the leader, as the instructor, you have to create a trusting space of vulnerability as well. And so the first time that I met Ryan, actually, I think the first time I heard you share this story, we were at, um, what were those things called? The cenotes? Cenote, yeah. Yes. And we were like sitting there. I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of the cenote. So I was just sitting there eating the fruit (laughs) and Ryan (laughs) started sharing this story. And I would really, if you don't mind, I'd love to just kind of go into that if you're open to sharing that and then we can go from there. Okay, cool. So I, uh, I grew up in kind of what you might consider a broken home. You know, both my parents were drug addicts and alcoholics and I, uh, I, um, you know, I had an abusive childhood growing up and it wasn't really the best home environment. And that really manifested itself in my early adulthood and teenage years in just being angry. And that anger translated into abuse of, uh, substances like food, alcohol, drugs, pretty much anything I could get my hands on. Um, I just really couldn't manage the way I was feeling inside and express that in my life through, you know, using all these external substances to try and balance out what was going on inside. And it kind of culminated when I was living in Australia, I was in my early twenties and I was a very serious alcoholic and I was kind of transitioning from that alcohol abuse into serious drug abuse. Um, and it's kind of a gray area, you know, it's, it's that point. I'm very lucky I managed to catch it when I did because there's always that point where you're someone who may be doing drugs recreationally with your friends when you're out drinking or partying. And then all of a sudden it's like a Wednesday afternoon and you're alone in your apartment and you're doing them. And that's when you kind of catch yourself and say, okay, like this is not good. I'm I'm in a really bad place here. And, um, I just really quickly want to side note before I, uh, before I lose track of what I'm, I'm thinking here, I just want to say for anyone who might be listening, who is dealing with someone in their life who has a drug and alcohol issue or an addiction of any kind, it's often very hard for us to articulate to you or to make you understand what exactly it feels like or what exactly is happening. And the, the sort of fallback for people is like, why don't you just stop? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't you just stop? You know, because most people can. And so what I try to tell people is if you're out and you're having a few glasses of wine or maybe you're having a few shots of tequila and things get a little out of hand, let's say you even get really wasted and you kind of consciously think about how you feel, mm-hmm. you're going to be like, I'm enjoying this. You know, I'm having a good time. You, you like this, right? But for me and for people who are like me, the minute we get things like that into our body, there's only one response and it's more, mm. just more. It's not, it's, it has nothing to do with where you are, what you're doing, when you're having fun or not. It's just more, 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 more. And then you do more and then you want more. And that's really like, like the thing is that like, 
it's hard for people who don't have that experience to understand what it's like to be addicted to something because they're able to mitigate it and they have an on-off switch. But for us, that response of just more, like at all costs, nothing matters, give up anything, hurt anyone, do whatever it takes, just get more. Yeah. And that, that's like you know, the most beautiful that, way I've ever heard it explained. And maybe not beautiful is the right word, but clear. Like that makes that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And so, so I feel that a lot of times people get lost in the morality of it, the right and wrong, you know. And that's really what it is for someone who's dealing with those issues is it's not about right or wrong. It's not about up or down or left or right. It's just about more. That's mm. all that matters. And that's why sobriety is so important. And that's why for people who are really serious about having this issue, they, they can't, you know, because the other thing you run into is a lot, especially here in Mexico. You know, I get friends visiting like, oh, why don't you just have a beer, man? Like, mm-hmm. just do a shot of tequila. It's your birthday because it's like the response response is instantaneous and there's it's just that trigger gets hit and then it's just more 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 so that's pretty much what I was dealing with my life although I didn't understand it and it was more of everything it was more food it was more alcohol it was more drugs it was more women more fights more of everything anything that sort of seemed to alleviate what was going on inside of me even temporarily the minute my subconscious mind got a taste for it I needed more of it and um I ended up living on the Gulf Coast and uh, me and some friends of mine flew to Melbourne for what was supposed to be like a lads weekend away, you know, like a three day weekend just to kind of tear it up and have a good time. And for me, that three day weekend ballooned and sort of evolved into this like eight day fear and loathing Las Vegas bender, like Mm -hmm. just proper bender where after about the third or fourth day, anyone that's there who is there to have a good time or enjoy themselves, they're gone. They've dropped out. They don't have the stamina for it. And what you're left with are people who either have a real problem or who are actually trying to hurt themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was in Melbourne with a bunch of people I didn't recognize in a place I didn't know doing some really horrible things. And I just had this like, you know, not very lucid considering the state I was in, but just this understanding that I had to get away from that because it, it was getting worse by the second and, and it clearly wasn't going to get any better. So I uh, made it from where I was to the airport in Melbourne and managed to talk my way back onto an airplane because I was flying standby. Um, so I managed to get back on a flight flying from Melbourne back to the Gold Coast where I was from. And uh, I was in pretty rough shape. I always wonder like how they even let me on the plane. But And I was sitting right at the back and the, we, we take off and I hadn't really slept in, a, in over a week. I'd been doing some pretty serious drugs and drinking and I had an incident on the plane and just totally freaked out. I had to get restrained. It was a nightmare. And it was like, if you've ever flown on, you know, flown on an airplane and thought like, this is a confined space and something goes wrong, it's going to go wrong fast. That's exactly what happened. And, uh, it was brutal for me. It was brutal for everyone involved. And I'm like, I'm, I feel terrible. It was so long ago now, it was over 10 years ago. And I still feel so terrible for the people mm-hmm. on that plane. Cause it's just such a terrifying thing to happen. Um, but I ended up getting restrained this, I'll never forget this like big, like stereotypical burly Australian guy, uh, was just sort of holding me down in my seat by my, my shoulder blades. And I was, you know, I, I was weak. Like I wasn't any, putting up any kind of serious fight. I was kind of flailing and moaning, but I remember him looking right at me and being like, mate, you need to calm the fuck down. Like you're, you know, this is getting out of hand. So, uh, we landed on the Gold Coast and, um, I always thought, you know, common sense, would predicate that the protocol for something like that would be to land the plane and get whatever the situation is off first. But I guess for the legality or, or sorry, let everyone off the plane and then deal with whatever the situation is at the end. 
but I guess for the legality of it or maybe for protocol, they don't let anyone else off in case there's witnesses or something like that. I'm not sure. But basically, we sat on this tarmac on the Gold Coast for hours while they organized the airport police and the cops and everything. So not only have these poor people dealt with this like really scary incident in the sky, but now we're on the ground and they won't let anyone off the plane for hours. And uh, eventually they get the cops and the cops come to the airport and they come on the plane and I'm all the way at the very back of the plane and they stand me up and they handcuff me. And then we're slowly like shuffling down the aisle. There's a police officer in front of me, me in the middle and a police officer behind me. And, you know, they're in full kit. They've got the whole thing. So they're kind of like big. They can't really walk through the aisle very quickly. And I'm just kind of shuffling around. And it was like that scene in Game of Thrones. It was just people were throwing daggers at me. I remember everyone just looking up for me from their seats and just the feeling of like vitriol and anger and like there was no pity there was right. no nothing right it was just brutal and it was like if that walk was the 10 feet it could have been 20 miles you know it took forever and then when i got to the very front of the plane i always tell people we have moments in our lives that are more than memories they're visceral they're burned into our synapses so when we think about them we don't so much remember them as we relive them something like a wedding the birth of a child or you know, these, these are not memories. They're when you conjure them, you relive them more than think about them. And I had one of those moments at the front of the plane. There was a, a beautiful young mother sitting in a business class section and she had a toddler. And as we approached, she actually turned the baby away from me. She had it in its arms and actually shielded the baby from my like gaze. Like I was some kind of ghoul that was going to snatch her baby away on the plane. Mm. And uh, I remember feeling like whatever little toothpicks or straws were propping me up at that point, like giving me any kind of will to keep going forward or keep pushing on the way I was just got knocked out. It was like getting spiritually punched in the stomach. Like I just kind of collapsed internally. Um, and then I got taken in and processed and I had to sit in a cell and I was kind of bouncing off the walls for a little while. And they gave me some stuff to try to take the edge off because they knew what was going on. And it was pretty rough. And then Eventually, they discharged me and let me go home. They had my passport. So they were like, you know, this is a big deal. We're going to have to deal with this. But for now, you can go home and try to recover a little bit. So I went home and I slept for a couple of days straight. And then I uh, woke up in a daze and had to walk from my bedroom to the kitchen to get a glass of water. And I, when I walked by the bathroom mirror, I caught a glimpse of myself. And I was naked and I was so startled by what I saw that I thought someone had broken into the house while I was away. I almost was knocked off my feet. And for the first time since I had been probably in high school, I just stood in front of the mirror and looked at myself. Mm -hmm. And I say all the time, and I think we've talked about this, Sarah, you can look at yourself and then you can see yourself. Those are two different things. You know, right. I look at myself, you look at yourself every day when you do your hair, brush your teeth, but it's rare that you actually see yourself, you know? Yeah. And so this was the first time in many, many, many years that I'd seen myself and I was in horrible shape. I was massively overweight because I used to eat Rolo ice cream for breakfast and drink nothing but Jack Daniels and Corona. And I never exercised. My skin was terrible. My hair was falling out. I used to get weird twitches when I would do drugs and pull all the whiskers out of the side of my face. So one side of my face was all red and swollen and patchy. I had jaundice because I was so poorly, had such poor nutrition and was drinking so much alcohol that the whites of my eyes had turned like a light shade of yellow. Mm. I kind of look, I kind of look like a zombie to be totally honest. And this, at this time I'm 23 or 24, I think okay. 24. And, um, 
obviously at this point I looked even worse because I just come off this like eight day, like full on bender. And, um, then it gets kind of watery. Obviously, you know, I've told the story a lot of times and I've done talks and stuff. So I've sort of pieced it together, meditating on it and thinking back to it over time. It's, it's, it's kind of wishy-washy, but I do remember the purveying sensation that I, the last thing I wanted to do was cause more trouble. I remember the thing that I cared most about was not leaving a mess. So I decided that like hanging myself or shooting myself were not going to be good because that was going to be too rough for whoever to find me. And so I kind of decided what I would do is fill my bathtub up with water um, and then slip my wrists and then sit in the tub and knock the drain out with my foot and then just bleed into the tub. And then I figured that as the water drained, the blood would drain into the the thing. And then when they found me, I would just be kind of a limp body in the bathtub. Mm. I kind of thought that that was the, the most, I know, nicest way to do it. So I was sitting on the edge of my tub waiting for it to fill up with water and just crying. And, you know, I was really ready. I was really, had made that decision. And, uh, as the tub was filling up with water, all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, I, I try not to get too mixed up in the terminology of it, whether you want to call the hand of God or the divine energy or whatever it was, but something intervened. And the way it manifested itself for me was just the sound of my own voice. It was like being in a soundproof room. So all noise and all light and everything dropped out from around me. And it was just the sound of my own voice. And it was really just this like logical deduction. It was really just like, this doesn't make sense. Like you, what kind of overseeing higher power would put you on this earth to suffer and be angry for 25 years and then take your own life alone in a foreign country? Like how bad does whatever is controlling things around you have to be for that to be your outcome? Like that, that cannot be right. And the more I started to think about that, the more I was like, that's right. Like, this is just not right. This is not how it's supposed to be for me or for anyone. This isn't what life is. It can't end this way. And so I made a conscious decision right there, like super drastic to change every single aspect of my life. So not just to give up drinking, not just to quit doing drugs, not just to stop fighting or having like one night stands or doing all that kind of stuff, but just everything, everything about what I was doing had to change. And if I still felt the same way, in six or seven months, some, you know, arbitrary period of time, then I would continue on with the path that I was on. But I wanted to at least try this change first and see how I felt. So I became like instantly, like really empowered and like instantly, like it it literally like being plugged into a, a wall socket. Like it just changed so fast for me. It was almost overwhelming. And then I went into my kitchen and I poured out all my booze and I flushed down all the drugs and I took out everything like salt pepper ice trays literally everything that was even food related bottles of water and i put them in two big garbage bags and i dragged them down to the curb and then i walked from my house to safeway and i bought what i thought was healthy food which in hindsight really wasn't but it was definitely a step in the right direction and i got back and i unpacked all this food and drank a bunch of water and then i was like okay you know i didn't know anything about what i was doing but i knew i needed to eat healthy quit abusing my body and I needed to exercise. I just kind of innately knew that somewhere inside of me, something was saying, you have to move, you have to exercise your body. So I uh, had no idea what I was doing. I'd never been in a gym. I'd never done any kind of training before. And I went to my neighbor who was a dancer and I knocked on her door and she answered and she's like, wow, you look terrible. I'm like, yeah, I know. And I was like, I need to train. Like I need to exercise. I think I thought that she had a trainer or was a trainer. <laughs> you know, I, I think that, I think I thought she also like PT'd on the side. 
But her response was, well, oh, I'm a stripper and I do math. That's how I stay skinny. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do for you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, but then really like last second, like over her shoulder, she was like, you know, I and she brought me out this like small stack of DVDs that's showing you how old the story is we still had DVDs back then and they were these uh, circa like 1997 Carmen Electra home strip for fitness DVDs where you would like pull out a chair and do like a, a simulated lap dance but you would do like reps and sets and there was like sexy lunges and like all these like overtly sexual like downward dog <laughs> positions and stuff and she was like you can try these if you want and I had no experience and I didn't know what I was doing so I took the DVDs and I went into my apartment and I would give like, honestly, at this point, after everything I've done, like all the modeling and TV stuff, like I would give anything to have had a GoPro set up. Well, that's what I was going to say. You never recorded it. I'm assuming. (laughs) No, I would pay, I would pay infinite amounts of money to see myself like almost 300 pounds in like little footy shorts and probably some like old crusty t-shirt trying to do like sexy lunges and like stripper moves in my living room. And I remember putting the DVD in and I remember starting and you know, like when you haven't trained in a while or haven't done a new thing, maybe yoga or fitness and you start, and you're like, I don't know what all the fuss is about. This really isn't that hard. Right. Cause everyone's, everyone's got like that first three to five minutes of output where your body is just like willing to go. Right. But as soon as I remember at about the eight minute mark, I was literally on my back, like heaving. Mm-hmm. And there's like this weird, like Euro trash music playing and Carmen Electra <laughs> being like, come on, you can do it. And I'm like, this like alcoholic drug addict like laying on my back <laughs> on my floor, just like heaving, being like, I hate you, Carmen Electra. <laughs> I thought you were hot five minutes ago, but not anymore. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and then I tried to run for as far as I could without passing out, which is only about four or five minutes. Cause that's the other p- thing people do when they don't know what they should be doing for exercise. They run because mm-hmm. we all know that that's good for us. And then I just, um, progressed i just started doing the carbon electric dvds every day like no no bullshit that's like not made up that was what i knew that was what i did and i would run and then i started pedantically researching like fitness and nutrition and training and just trying to figure things out as i went and so at this time you were like still sober and because i know what you've told me before for you for your situation once you decided to get sober you stayed sober and then were you working at the time Yeah. So that was another issue that I had is the job that I had when I was living in Australia was an amazing, amazing job. If you're like a young kid, you know, backpacking Australia, but it was a nightmare if you had a substance abuse problem. We used to stand on the corner uh, of this really popular tourist destination and try and stop groups of people. We would sell them tickets to a nightclub crawl. So you got five entries, five free drinks, all your food, everything covered, no lineups, party games, the whole thing. And it was bad for two reasons. Number one, they paid us cash. So mm. whatever we sold during the day, if I sold $1,500 for the tickets, at the end of the day, the guy who owned the company, he would just come to our little corner and it was so like freehand. He was just like, how much did you make? And I'd be like 1500 And then he'd be like, okay, give me 750 bucks. Oh, that was literally damn. how it worked. So there were some weekends where it would be like, and we lived in like a, where I lived in Australia was like a little tiny baby version of Vegas. It was like the main party part of the whole country. So there were some weekends where we could make two or $3,000, like just standing on the corner. Oh my and gosh. then immediately after we'd finish, we would go out obviously. Cause we worked in the party industry. And the other thing that the nightclubs knew is that we were basically like a 24 hour promotion machine. So right. all the nightclubs in our town really wanted to keep us on their good side. So they used to offer each of us a $50 drink card personal at each venue. So wow. I could have $250 of the free booze every night, any night I wanted at a nightclub. 
And uh, when I decided to quit, before I'd had this actual like transformation, there was one time like a few months before that where I got really sick. I had this crazy cough that I couldn't get under control. And so I went to a doctor and this doctor looked at me and was like, holy cow. He's like, how old are you? I'm like 24. And he's like, you've got the like, I'm looking at the rap sheet of like a 54 year old alcoholic man. Like you're in rough shape. And I was like, ah, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. And he's like, no, you need to quit drinking now. Wow. I'm like, it's not going to happen. Cause he was looking like, at you your blood, blood stuff. Yeah. Or? He was just looking at everything. Like, you know, I got a full physical cause they couldn't figure out what was wrong with my what was wrong with my throat. I couldn't stop coughing. So I got blood work. I got all kinds of tests done, you know, like a full top to bottom physical. And he was just like, man, you're in rough shape. And he was actually like, I remember he was actually had a really like kind of, you guys there? Yeah, we're right here. Yeah. So he kind of was like, I tell you what, why don't you go, we took some bloods and stuff. Why don't you go and just try to tell me just this weekend, just have a normal weekend. And then when you come back and see me for results, let's talk about how much you drink, but just like pay attention to it tonight Mm -hmm. or this weekend. And we'll talk about it. So I was like, okay, so I went to this place that I always go to and the guy that used to run this nightclub was my buddy Charlie. And uh, I went out for like a regular Saturday night, you know, nothing too crazy, like pretty standard. I remember getting pretty messed up, but nothing over the top. Mm-hmm. And then I went back on Sunday into the club and I was like, hey, Charlie, can I get my ticket from last night? He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's all covered. I'm like, I know, I know, but I just want to see like what, what's on my tap. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, if you want, man. He's like, like really? It's, you don't have, <laughs> yeah. He's like, you don't have to pay for it. I'm like, yeah, okay. And he showed it to me and there was 26 Amaretto and Cokes. Oh that's my a bo- God. Yeah. That's a bottle and a half of Amaretto and like probably two and a half liters of Coca-Cola. And that didn't like at that time make you want to throw up. Nope. That was like standard. I Did used you to feel love like Amaretto shit? Did you get hangovers from all the sugar? You know, I used to have, what I remember is like, I used to just sort of used to be always hungover. I yeah. never really felt that good. You know, you would... I'd feel like shit all morning, but like we, this was with the boys that I worked with, like we would meet for work before we hit our little corner to start hustling. And we would go to like a pub and have four beers and breakfast at like Ooh. 11. And Ooh. then we would get out there. Right. That's like, that was the, the sort of the culture of what we were doing. It was yeah. really like sort of like an Ibiza, like Vegas, really like go hard, party hard, everything to the max kind of vibe. Right. And then it would just carry on. So yeah, I, I felt like shit every morning, but I felt like shit on the mornings I didn't drink because my body was just in such bad shape. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I started crazy, you know, being pedantic about my research and things escalated. And then I joined a gym uh, and then I joined another gym and then I just started researching and, and doing as much as I could and trying to learn. And, um, I quit that job that I was doing and I worked at a call center. So that I didn't have to talk to anyone or like see anyone. So basically I would wake up and exercise, go sit and try and sell magazine subscriptions for like eight hours a day, go home and exercise for like five hours and then go to sleep. Did you feel like lonely in that time? I felt super isolated and super alone, but I felt like I was going through like a tunnel. I felt like I had to go through this like dark tunnel of being alone and doing this thing completely on my own and had this sort of like, unspoken understanding that what was on the other side of this tunnel was really important, but that I had to get there on my own. Yeah. Like that. And it's all, you know, it's all very much like I was feeling it out as I went. I made a lot of mistakes. I did a lot of things wrong and I, I definitely would never recommend anyone to do it the way I did it. I didn't get any help. I was too proud. And I also didn't understand that there was people out there that could help you, you know? And this is also going on almost 11 years ago. There, there wasn't really the resources we have now, you know, like YouTube and all that kind of stuff really wasn't this, the way it is set up now where you can, you know, Google these things or find people who are really willing to help you. 
Um, can I, so yeah. one other question, just, sure. I think about, I think about friends of mine who have been in recovery or, you know, was there ever the temptation for you? I know you said you were kind of like in a tunnel, but like, did you ever wake up and you're like, fuck, I want to have a drink or were you yeah. just like so focused on what you were doing? Yeah. So what I used to do and what I remember from that is that all of my like withdrawals and all of my desires, I buried under an avalanche of physical pain. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about just like going into the gym and doing like, like no word of an exaggeration, Sarah, like 900 sets. Holy shit. I'm talking about like, yeah, like just, just freakish, freakish, freakish workouts where like I would work out and then walk out of the gym and go across the street to like a 7-Eleven and eat a bunch of power bars and power gels and then go back to the gym because it wasn't that I wanted to stop training. It was just I got too hungry because I'd yeah. been there for almost three hours. And I remember, you know, then when I would go home or in the mornings or throughout the day, what would be what someone might consider like the ache of wanting a drink or wanting to do drugs was just buried underneath like muscle soreness and like fatigue for me. Right. Until I, I, and then I was able to kind of wean myself off both at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, the more I started to understand how your body works and how exercise works and how to diet and train properly, the less I overdid it. But by that point, I had already sort of gotten over the hump of those desires, you know? Right. But like all people, you know, there, I, after about a year or two, like all people, I had that moment where I think I, I was at a festival with friends and I had, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll have a drink or whatever. I can't, you know, and then things went fine. I was like, oh, you know, I really knocked this on its head. Like I really, I almost have got this under control. And then I think it was within like three or maybe four weeks I was under arrest and in the drunk tank, you know, right. I had that happen pretty much within the first year. And then that was it. That was the only time. Right. So you knew like that was um, it. I was like, okay, this is, this is a lifelong thing. This isn't something I'm going to be able to like fix or whatever. Right. Um, but so I was going through this tunnel of training and dieting or whatever, and I got into incredible shape like incredible shape. I obviously did it the hard way and I did it in a way that I wouldn't recommend to anyone, but you guys, Ryan is in shape. incredible shape. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, uh, I ended up making a kind of a new group of friends and, and hanging out with some different people. And I was living with a friend of mine at the time and we had a two bedroom apartment, but I had one bathroom and, uh, he was a great guy, still a really good friend of mine in Australia. We still stay in contact all the time. And he had a dinner party once and I had like kind of forgotten. So I got home from the gym and there was like this room full of guys and they were all like, having dinner and having a good time. And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me just quickly shower and change and I'll get out of your hair. And then as I'm leaving, one of the guys in the party is like, my name's Russell. I'm a photographer. I'd love to work with you. And I'm from like the hood, you know, I grew up pretty rough and I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, you know, and yeah. he was like, obviously gay, like, like flamboyantly. So, and I'm like, I'm good, man. Like, <laughs> right. <I'm not> playing, <laughs> You're know? like, what do you want from like, me? <laughs> exactly. He's like, no, no, no. You know, I'm professional. I've been published. I can show you all these magazines I've been published in. I do work for like big time agencies here. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, if any of my friends back home saw me in one of your photographs, that would be the end of me. So like, I'm good. And then he was like, well, I'll give you a thousand bucks. And I was like, where do I sign? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we went out a couple of days later and just did this photo shoot on the beach just for fun. You know, and just, I'd never done anything like that before. I was like wildly camera shy. I'd never done anything even close to that. Um, and used to obviously be in how I used to look, I used to hate being photographed or anything like that. So I don't have a whole lot of photos of me from when I was really out of shape. Um, and then he published that photo on his website and it ended up in like a, I don't know, like a Google search. So then very shortly after that, I got an email from someone from, uh, men's fitness in Australia 
And they contacted me on Facebook and they, they had the photo that they'd scraped off Google and they said, is this you? And I'm like, yeah. And they said, we'd love this image. We'd love to use it as the cover for our next issue. And I was blown away. And that was like six months later, right? 10 months. 10 months. So it was, yeah, almost, almost to the day, 10 months. And, uh, so they were like, well, you get the photo released. So get Russell to sign off on it. Russ was like, yeah, as long as they credit me in the magazine, it's fine. And then the editor was like, why don't you fly down to Sydney and meet uh, everyone and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, do a little like meet and greet and then you'll get to see your cover before it actually comes out. So I was like, yeah, sweet. So I flew down to Sydney and I remember going into the editor's office and he's sitting down and he was like, yeah, nice to meet you. And he was like, so, you know, what's your background? Like, did you play sports in high school? Like, are you a trainer or a fighter? Like, do you play football? And I was like, mate, 10 months ago, <laughs> I, I weighed almost 300 pounds and I was doing sexy lunges in my living room and I did this all on my own. And, and I had one photo of what I used to look like. And I showed him a photo. I'm like, this is literally what I looked like 10 months ago. And he was like, okay. So then we reshot the, we used the same photo, but then we reshot a bunch of stuff for the inside. And yeah. it was just supposed to be the photo. That was it. And then we released this thing called, um, he like redid the whole article. And it was like the head of the article was like, overweight party slob to 5% body fat. Is it even like, is it even possible or something like that? Right. And the cover had like a little insert of me when I was out of shape. And then the main photo of me walking down the beach. And then the minute that came out, uh, it was just like an, it was like a tidal wave. It was like an avalanche of people contacting me, obviously to say congratulations and stuff, because I kind of dropped off the map. Right? right. Like I didn't really tell anyone what I was doing. I just kind of disappeared and then showed back up at, like in this like crazy version of myself. And from those, from being contacted like that, one of the biggest things I got was, can you help me? Mm. Oh my God, how did you do that? Can you help me? Can you give me advice on training, on diet, on what did you do? Right. And for me, as much as when I tell the story, people are always like, wow, that's so great that you lost the weight and you didn't take your own life and you know things. But for me, that is the real part for me that is like, has the most like hair raising, like goosebump element, because that was like where I really felt the hand of God or like the divine intervention is right there. Cause it was like, this is what you're meant to do. Totally. This is the light at the end of that tunnel. This is why you did that. This is why you train by yourself seven hours a day. Why you stopped talking to all your friends, why you went through all that pain, all that misery was to be here in this moment to understand that like, this is the way that you can give back. This is how you're going to contribute. This is how you're going to make a difference and be involved with the world around you. And this is the thing that you're going to do to make the world a better place. And from that, you will be a better person and you will have a better life. And that was it. I've never done anything since. From that moment, I got all my certifications to be a trainer. I started working as a personal trainer and then started getting into all types of health and wellness, nutrition and meditation. And it's taken me all over the world. I've trained celebrities, professional athletes, regular people. I've worked in 70 different countries. Holy moly. One form or the other. Yeah. And I've done it. Everything from, you know, from being a booth babe at like fitness expos all the way to like private one-on-one sessions. And that's really the only thing I've done in the last, you know, for the last over a decade is and, just working in the, in the and you love it. arena of fitness and one way or the other. Yeah. And I love it. I'll always do it. I'll never do anything else. You know, yeah. I, it's the most important thing in the world to me. It's incredibly rewarding. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I love it. Um, and so one of the things that I know you were telling me about is that you have some clients that you'll go and you'll literally like live with them for two weeks. Is that right? Or longer? Yeah. So I do a lot of private stuff. I do a lot of kind of live in being the, the nature of my life, you know, about 
seven years ago now, I pretty much gave away or sold everything I've ever owned. I really reduced my life as far as material possessions down to almost nothing. Um, everything I own in the entire world will fit in one small suitcase. So that's like nothing in storage, nothing at my parents' house, you know. And um, the situation I had here in Mexico was they were really amazing with being flexible with me about coming in and out and kind of working on, not on my own schedule, but if I needed time, they'd allow me to have it. And so some opportunities presented themselves where people were like, you know, we really like what you do, but we don't want to come all the way back to Mexico. Are you available? And I was like, well, I don't live where you are, but if you want to provide accommodation and transport, I'm more than happy to come and work with you. And that sort of evolved into what I've been doing for the last few years. I go and train people in their homes or, you know, at hotels or on their yachts or, um, Sounds really fucking terrible, Ryan. Yeah, it's a tough (laughs) life. Um, But let me ask you something. Like, does that get lonely? Um, yeah, you know, my life... I find that my life is very, I am very transient and it doesn't really lend itself to a lot of long-term stable relationships, be they romantic or friend wise, you Mm -hmm. know, because I'm never really in one place for more than a few months at a time. And even here in Tulum, when I am technically here, I mean, if you look at this last month, I was in Connecticut for a week, then I was in Puerto Vallarta for a week. Now I'm here for one week and then I'll be in Turkey for two weeks. Holy moly. So if you were a girlfriend or a friend and we had during this month alone, you would have had maybe four or five days where we could have hung out. I would never trust you anywhere as a girlfriend. Let me just say that. (laughs) (laughs) Now as a friend, we can be good friends. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what I, that's kind of what's developed for me is I have these incredible friendships and relationships with people where you might've seen that meme where a true friend is someone you don't have to see or speak to every day. But when you do see them or speak to them, it's like nothing's changed. Right. So that's really, and I had to kind of, I had to kind of get over that hump of, of people that I know who have friends that they hang out with all the time or see every day, you know, and really just get on board with the idea that my friendships and my relationships were going to be few and far between like chronological wise, like as far as how much time or contact I have, right? but you know, lifelong in, in the commitment. Well, and more meaningful. And I think too, like, you know, my, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm a thinker. Like when I meet people, like I really did enjoy meeting you. And I think that, that we had a connection and I was thinking, you know, for someone like you, who is so transient and who is also like you, I remember you telling me when you were last time I saw you, you were like, yeah, I was in LA training these, um, hip hop people or whatever. And there is like drugs and alcohol in that industry, whatever. So it's like, you have to have a good enough relationship with yourself to be strong enough with yourself to be like, Hey, I'm going to be by myself for a good part of the day, except for when I'm doing my job and like, be good with you, you know, be good with yourself. And, and that relationship is just, that's one of the toughest relationships. I think that we all, that we have to work on. And I always say like, you know, everywhere we go, there we are, the person that you wake up to with every day, the person you eat every meal with, the person you look at naked in the, you know, in the mirror every morning, the person you go to bed with every night, it's yourself. And when we can really solidify that place with ourselves, I think it's when we can excel in our lives truly. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing that I learned for me is that, you know, we're all born obviously different. We're all born with unique gifts and unique, you know, aspects to our personality and our character. And we're also born with kind of unique faults and flaws. So, for example, you know, if, if you want to use a very easy, a very sort of trackable concept, like someone who might be like really insulin sensitive, right? So you might have a friend who just looks like they can eat anything they want and stay lean. Mm -hmm. And you watch that and you're like, well, why is that? Like that's, you know, 
But what you don't realize is that that person might have an issue that they have to do with every day that you have no concept of that they have to work at every day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest things for me was realizing that like, I was not born blessed with the ability to simply be happy and be okay. That wasn't something I can't just wake up and be okay. Whether that's what happened to me as a child or just the way I was born that requires effort for me. So a lot of people, I, it seems to me that a lot of people never have to worry about that. They kind of have good days and bad days and life sort of ticks on, but they don't have to work at just being. Mm -hmm. But for me, I have to work at it every day. So I have a morning routine that never changes no matter what. I have to wake up, I have to meditate, I have to journal, I have to do cardio, and I have to have a cold shower. And it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter if I have a client that wants to train at 4.45. I have to, that means I'm waking up at 3 because okay. I need that time. It doesn't matter if I'm in the airport. It absolutely doesn't matter, right? Because in the same way, if you had diabetes, you have to take insulin. If you don't, you'll die. For me, if I don't work on my own, quote unquote, being okayness, it will fail. Mm -hmm. And then it, things start to happen. So the two things that I need are my morning routine and I need to be able to exercise. I need to be able to train. I need to be able to push Those my are like your non-negotiables. That's it. Non-negotiables, right? And I just happen to be lucky enough that those are things that are, I can do anywhere, anytime, you know, you know, and that was also the big thing for me where I never wanted to do anything. I never wanted to do any kind of medication. I never wanted to ever come dependent on anything external. I always wanted to make sure that the tools that I need were inside of me, right? And that's when you talk about being okay with yourself and having that relationship with yourself. It's like you need to understand for each of us it's different. And I have friends, my friend Mickey, great example. If he, It's only a certain amount of days per month that he can go without surfing before his life starts to collapse. Like mm -hmm. literally, like he can't perform at work. He starts fighting with his girlfriend. And it took him, you know, 10 odd years to realize the connection. And it's not about whether or not you like surfing or if it's a sport or anything. It's just like that was something that is part of who he is and it's important to him and it keeps him even. It keeps him like on, on, on the level that he needs to be on. And for a lot of people, it's yoga or family or it can be work. It can be anything. But when you say like you need to know yourself and develop that relationship with yourself, one of the things you need to seek out is what are your anchors? What are the things that anchor you to your existence, that keep you where you need to be, keep you focused and keep you happy? And understand, I cannot stress this enough, they won't be the same for you as they are for anyone else. You can go to a yoga class and 50 people are being so fulfilled and so balanced in that yoga class and feel lost. And yeah. then you're in an even worse position because you know what it is for you? Maybe you need to get in the gym and put 200 pounds on your back and squat until your eyeballs pop. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. One of the big problems that we have is that we, we tend to look at what other people are doing or what we think is going to keep us in that place where we're okay with ourselves and we know ourselves and then try to replicate it in our own lives, you know? So what you is your best what works for you. like tool? Like what's your best practice? Because I can, I totally hear you. And like, you know, for me, I have non-negotiables too. Like I, my, one of my non-negotiables is I have to sweat. Like I have to sweat every, almost every day. It's just something yeah. that gets my brain right. I know that. But like when you're talking to people who are, you know, starting to develop and I'm very, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the term self-care. I'm more of a fan of the term like caring for the self. So what, yep. what, when you look at people like that and they're coming to you and they're like, dude, I'm broken. How do people that are so disconnected from themselves and their basic human needs, how do they start to say, okay, I need my meditation, my cardio, my cold shower. Like what are some tools? And, and I'm, I'm interested in this too, because I think about this a lot. Like 
do you, is it like trial and error? Is it, you know, what is it? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the, the thing is, is that, uh, I can't remember her name now, but you, you, maybe you'll know her. She, she kind of was really famous for a little while. She was that home, that home organizing expert. Marie Marie, Kondo. Yeah. yeah. Spark joy. And what she would do is she would come into your house and all your material possessions, you would hold it. And she would ask you, does this spark joy? Mm. And if your answer was no, then you get rid of it. Right. And that's such like a weird and arbitrary thing. But like for me, if I'm talking to someone who's struggling and who wants to make a change, the first thing I always say is the first thing you got to do is meditate. And the thing is, is don't get caught up in what that means. Don't right, get caught totally. up in whether you, you, do you need an app or do you need a room or should you be on a rooftop with the sun setting? I don't, you know, none of that. Like just sit and breathe and mm. listen to your own thoughts and just try and take even 30 seconds and develop a practice of where you're meditating and however that manifests in your life, whatever that means for you, learn to connect to your mind, to your breath, to yourself, right? That's the first step. A strong mind lives in a strong body and then spiritually they're all connected. And the second thing is live your life through passion, right? Like what sparks joy, you know? If yoga is really firing your rocket, then let it be yoga, but don't got, don't get caught up in what you think it should be or what your community is doing or what you know, the people around you were doing or what any advice anyone's trying to give you. Right. Like, cause I, you know, I love yoga more than anything. I think it's incredible. And I, and I, I try to incorporate as much as I can, but I have to look at my day and say, I really only have a certain amount of expendable physical energy. So, right? There's only totally. so much I push. Yep. And I know that what's important and what's going to keep me happy and keep me on my path is by laying out at the gym. I'm talking like just like walking out of there like a, like a corpse. Mm -hmm. And, and then, so it's like, I don't have the energy to go and do yoga. Right. So it's like, I have to make that choice. And there are some days where, but I did kick your ass, didn't I? Yeah, absolutely. Which is why a class class (laughs) like yours was really right up my alley because it had all the elements of, of that really drive and that hard work as opposed to, you know, something a little bit lower and slower as well as having like the, you know, the stretching and the breathing that's incorporated with yoga. Right. I did that class in like swim trunks. I wasn't even ready for it. I was so like, I was just like, oh, I was so proud. Watch. I was so proud yeah, of you. Yeah, well, I was like, I'll, I'll just kind of watch and then everyone's working so hard. I'm like, oh, fuck that. I'm not just going to sit here like a lump. Yeah. So I like dove into it and then before I knew it, I was like, man, I am really under equipped for this. I hadn't even breakfast. I was wearing swim trunks. I was like sweating everywhere. It was funny. But you fit right in. Um, yeah, well, I think, go ahead. I think really all it is, is like you say, is, is just try to live your life through passion. I think we have internal instincts, something, you know, things, something is going to ring true for you and you'll know it. And that comes from, like I said, developing that practice of listening to yourself, of thinking and breathing and meditating and knowing. And, and again, if it's rollerblading, then roll your blade, rollerblade till your eyes bleed. If it's Pilates then do Pilates, but more than the physical response and more than anything else you want to pay attention to the whether or not it sparks that joy, it sparks that passion inside of you because that's, what's going to keep you on that path as well. That's, what's going to make, you know, your every Monday, Wednesday, Thursday class be a breeze as opposed to like, Oh, I have to go to orange theory. Like, Oh, I gotta, you know, like I've in, in 15 years, I've never had that once at the gym, not once. And I know that sounds hard to believe, but literally not one time. There's been times where I physically felt tired or had a headache or my back hurt. But I've never once been like, oh, I've got to go to the gym. I cannot wait to get in there every single day. 
So and in that, yoga, you know, we call that tapas. So that's the fire. That's like your tapas is your fire. It's your burn. It's like a burning zeal inside of your body. And it's your passion. So if you can exactly make like right. a connectivity with that, and you're like, this fires me up. This lights me up. And like you said, yeah, there's days when you're tired. But for me, I always say too, like I, I never. It might like be a push to get me there. Like I got my kids or I get all my other shit, like the work, blah, blah. I never regret doing it. And that I'm like, okay, so, so like I, I like look for that too. I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's kick major ass and let's make this shit happen. And I always feel better walking away always. Yeah. And I think that's also why, you know, you're able to have such a strong impact on your client. And but do your class participate in your program because you know that translates. That's like that unspoken language that we all have. People feel that inside of you and they want a piece of it, they want a taste of it. You know, like that's what you know. I get asked all the time, and, and you probably deal with this as well. You know, young people in the industry or people who are in our industry and they may not be doing so well, and they're like, Oh my god, like how did you how did you end up treating all these celebrities? Like, how do you live go fly over the world and do all this? Because and like when you're talking about training, like you know, it's, as far as the technicality of it, like what you know and what you don't know is is kind of arbitrary. But what people will – it's like that um, quote, people will forget what you do and they'll forget what you say, but they will never forget how you make them feel. Mm-hmm. And in our industry, that is so true in our industry, whether you're a yoga teacher, a fitness instructor, a meditation coach. It doesn't matter. What resonates more than how hard your class is, how nice your studio is, how much equipment you have. What resonates more than any of that is how those people feel and how they feel is directly related to how you feel. Mm -hmm. If you're passionate, if you have that internal zeal, that fire, they're going to feel it. They're going to want to get a taste of it and they're going to participate and really give their all. And that was the thing I experienced in your class. That was the, that was probably the most impressive thing about being in your class was I was like, these people are here and they're, it's like they're, you're sharing one flame. It's Mm -hmm. like one you know, it was like burning from within you and they were all just like adding their little kindling to this flame that was coming from within you. And then all of a sudden the whole room was on fire and everyone's pushing and everyone's sweating and everyone's grinding. And there was no, you know, you are, there was like, you're the instructor, you're the leader, it's your class, you're guiding them and taking them through it. But there was no like authority. It was more like, this is a journey we're all on. Like, let's dive in, let's work hard, let's grind this out. And then I think that's so special and it's super important and it's what's lost, you know, it's what's lost in a lot of let's go on this journey Let's like get in the, let's do it together. And that's, you know, like get in the trench with me, please. Let's hop in the arena together. One thing I do think that's so, I just, you know, I love so much the way that you train and, you know, the fitness, I always say the fitness is the obvious. The fitness is going to get people in the room to me, but what I can share with them from my heart and being vulnerable and being like real and not just being like saying I'm being vulnerable because that's what yoga teachers say, not just saying I'm being real because that's what the billion dollar self-care industry has told me I need to say, but I mean like fucking bleeding, like getting in there and being like, this is what's up. And when you create a connectivity with people and you can look people in the eyes and you can be real, then they leave with a human experience. And all we want to do is be heard, seen and loved, you know? And so if we can, if someone can walk out of my room and feel that and also have a six pack and a good ass. I mean, that's a fucking win-win. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's all you can do, right? If you can, like I said, in that letter I wrote to you, our job as instructors and what you do is just simply to, it's like you show people what they're capable of. That's like you trainers and yoga teachers and meditation coaches, we're human windows. All we do is we show you what you can be. 
I not love that. because we're not because we're that way. I'm not. I'm not saying that you can have a great body because I can have a great body because mm-hmm. you see the way I look. What I, what I'm saying is that like what I know and what I've done, I can show you is that you have the a capacity, the ability to be the very best version of yourself. And as a trainer, as a yoga teacher, as a guide, I am like a window to show you how to get to your maximum potential, whether that's fitness or whatever it is, right? And and I think that's yeah, that comes from that human connection, that comes from that being seen, being heard, and being loved. It's like. It's all part of the process. It really is. It really is. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for taking the time to talk to us. I mean it. And guys, listen, Ryan is coming to Charleston. I'm putting it out there in the public. So we are bringing him here. And I'm hoping for February still. I can't wait. I'm going to try for February. We're definitely, I'm trying to put that in the works. But if not, early spring for sure. Don't let me down. I'll be there. Don't you worry. I, I honestly, I can't wait. I feel really and, like I, I mean, just I, even I having really this conversation, I I definitely want for my clients to get a fitness experience from you. But you, you really, Ryan. I mean, this. I talk to people in the industry all the time, as I know you do as well. You have something really special to offer. So I'm I'm just so excited for you to come and to share yourself and for people to get to be part of your magic. So thank you, thank you. Enjoy your beautiful day in Tulum. It's fucking freezing here so (laughs) we're very jealous of what you're doing but um we will chat soon okay thank you so much okay take take care bye-bye who's excited for ryan to come to charleston hands up hands up higher two hands oh yeah um ryan is a magical being i cannot wait for him to come to charleston we're hoping to bring him here i'm pushing for february he's giving me a little pushback but i usually get my way so we'll see but um when he comes in march hopefully if you aren't in charleston and if you've never experienced him out of the states you can even come in town we're going to be running some workshops and um letting him chat and do his thing And I mean, what an incredible person. I feel like we literally could have talked for two hours, but alas, we all have lives and things to get back to. So I hope you liked that one, guys. Share it with your friends, okay? And um, rate us. Tell everyone you love us because we love you and we want to keep doing this. Have a fantastic day.